This morning we are in the book of Luke. This is chapter three. If you have your Bibles with you, you can pull those out. Otherwise, you can follow along with me up on the screen. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth and all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all of the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked up John in prison. This is the reading of God's word. Thank you, Aubrey. So Allie is helping us uh, walk through the season of Advent with with some themes of what it means that Jesus came the first time. And part of what Advent is, is is it's about his arrival and it's about preparing uh, for his arrival. So we prepare to celebrate that he did come. But as she alluded to, we also prepare for the reality that he's coming again as the king, as the one who will judge the living and the dead. And also, I think we, we want to prepare that he, he still comes. There are ways that he wants to come more fully into our lives than we've, we've experienced yet. And so 
We want to get ready for all of that. And this Advent, we're using John the Baptist and his life and, and what he uh, ministered and, and spoke, his message when he was here, to help us get ready. So I just want to talk a little bit about what that looked like, or what we talked about last week, because last week really set up what this, this series is. And while uh, we read from Matthew, the Matthew account of John the Baptist's life, and this week we read from Luke, we're also looking at all the Gospels, because there are four accounts of Jesus' life in our Bibles, and, and there's a lot of things that just show up in, in one uh, of the accounts, but John the Baptist and the importance of him preparing for Jesus, or getting us ready for Jesus is in all four accounts. And so the things we looked at last week, we looked at them in all uh, uh, four books of the Bible. So what, what they were to start was, of, of our main points we made last week, were prepare the way for the Lord. So John the Baptist, whenever he's referred to in, in all four accounts, is that he, he was here to prepare the way for the Lord, to help people prepare the way for the Lord, to get ready for the one who is coming. And he's quoting Isaiah chapter 40. And when we actually look at Isaiah chapter 40, um, we see that there's a little bit different emphasis in, in the gospel accounts. It talks about there's, there's a voice of one who's in the wilderness saying, prepare the way for the Lord. Calling out, prepare the way for the Lord. Get ready. But in Isaiah, it talks about there's a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Like, when it's hard, in the lonely place, in the place with, with less resources, in, there, in the place where it's easy to have excuses to say, like, I just don't have a lot to offer to get ready for the Lord, it's even there, maybe especially there, that we should get ready for the coming of the Lord. And then we talked about John's message uh, that was good news. There's hope of good news for all people. And it's said in different ways, and Matthew talks about him saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So heaven isn't just way far away and way later on. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heaven, where what God wants to happen, happens. Heaven, where God is acting and moving, that's, that's come near. So that's good news. And then in Mark, it talks about the good news, the beginning of the good news of Jesus, and includes the forgiveness of sins. That's good news. And in Luke, which was just read, talk about salvation, God's rescuing power for all humanity. It's available to all humanity. And then in John, that light, Jesus, the light of the world, came into darkness. And the darkness cannot overcome it. Different ways, different emphasis of its good news. So that's what we talked about last week. This week, I want to give you right ahead what our main points are going to be. So the first one is repent. Get ready. In John the Baptist's message, he says, repent. Repent means to turn around. You turn away from sin, away from the things that would pull us from God, and we turn to God and to live according to his ways and what he says. And that is a big message of John, as we'll see. Also, we get ready by confessing our sins. We'll see that as well. People are confessing their sins. That is a common theme. So the voice of one calling, John the Baptist, get ready. How do people respond? They respond by confessing their sins. And then number three, the peace that comes through the fire of God. Hmm. The peace that comes through the fire of God. 
So I want to start by looking at the first two points, repent and confessing our sins. In Mark chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says, And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What's a baptism of repentance? How do you preach a baptism of repentance? That phrase has always uh, been one that I've kind of wrestled with, and I don't know that I fully grasp, but at least partly is that he was declaring you should get baptized. And to get baptized, you need to repent. You need to turn toward God, turn away from sin, and then you will be baptized. Now, John's message and his baptism was different. Later on in the New Testament, it talks about how it's different than the baptism that comes after Jesus had died and rose again. But the element of, of repentance and forgiveness of sins is still part of the baptism that we're doing today. Because Peter, when he gave the message after Jesus had ascended to heaven, it was repent and be baptized, all of you, for the forgiveness of your sins into the name of Jesus Christ. That's what he, what he said in Acts chapter 2. So verse 5, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Repentance, that's how we get ready. Confession of sins, that's how we get ready. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, in those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then, verse 5, People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their, their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So here we have again, repent and confessing sin. This is how we get ready. We repent and we confess our sins. And now in Luke, what Aubrey just read, Luke chapter 3, verse 3, he, John the Baptist, went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We have it again. Repentance, forgiveness of sins. Now, John, the one gospel that we're not looking at today, does not emphasize this aspect of, of John the Baptist's ministry. But there is clearly repentance in there, and there is, uh, when Jesus does show up on the scene, he says, there he is, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the theme is it's still there in a, in a more subdued way, and we'll talk about other aspects of what John emphasizes in the weeks to come, but there's this idea of confess and, and repent and confess your sins. Now, let's get to the fire. Because that's like the, hmm, fire. What does this mean? Okay, we'll find out. Verse 7 of Matthew, we're going back to Matthew chapter 3. But when he, John, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Now, he's saying this to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and it seems like here come people that are like, the, they're coming together. Pharisees and Sadducees. This is like the Republicans and the Democrats came out. Okay, you've got the conservatives, the Pharisees, moral people, religious people, all, all about that. You've got the Sadducees who hold kind of religious positions, but they don't believe in heaven. They don't believe in the afterlife. They don't believe, but they're enriching themselves. And you've got these two groups that are coming out, and he says to both of them, you're snakes. Who warned you? And then verse 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. It's not just like, oh yeah, Oh yeah, I'm supposed to do better, I'm supposed to do better. You actually need to intend to try to live differently. 
produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Produce fruit that's in, that aligns with repentance. Produce good fruit or get thrown into the fire. Verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The one who is coming will baptize us, or at least these people, with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So now there's the farming Im image of with wheat, and the, they throw in the air, and the chaff, the stuff that's not for food, would blow to one side and, and drop off, and then they would have the wheat. I'm probably not doing that. That's, all you farm people are like, this poor guy. Anyway. But there, I will say this much. I know there's a separation, right, of the wheat that's good and the chaff that's not good, and the wheat gets put in storehouses and the chaff gets put in the fire. And he's saying, that's what it'll be like when the one who is coming again comes. In Luke, which Aubrey just read, similar things are said. Luke chapter 3, verse 7. John said to the crowds, but now this time, the one, there's almost, a lot of this is almost exactly like it's in Matthew, but he didn't just say it to the leaders. He said it to everybody. Coming out to be baptized, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Going to verse 15, the people were waiting, and waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. This is just funny to me. Snakes, who warned you? There's unquenchable fire. You're going to turn or burn. And, and with many other words, he told them about the good news. It just doesn't quite match for me. Like, I'm like, eh. So... What's going on there? What's going on? So again, just to bring up our points, if we're going to get ready, John says, repent. And he doesn't say it quietly. He says, repent. And people confess their sins. That's part of getting ready. But now, how is it that peace, peace comes through the fire of God? How does that work? Well, partly what's true is that we will all, all human beings, will have to pass through the fire of God. The question is whether we turn to him now and have him baptize us with fire now and purify us with his fire now and get us ready now so that we're with him 
or not. If we do not turn to God, then he just turns us over to our own ways. Okay, this is Romans chapter 1. You don't want to live my way? You don't want to live life with me? Well, then I will let you live, human beings, life your own way, on your own. And the result of that is like a devastating fire. If we don't live God's ways with God and his help, it is destructive. And he just lets us. We have the chance to decide, do we want to turn to be with God or are we turned over to ourselves? Um, Last week, I brought up Isaiah chapter 40 because it's quoted in all four of the, of the books of the Bible and the accounts of John the Baptist, Isaiah chapter 40. In one of the accounts, in Mark chapter 1, it doesn't just quote Isaiah chapter 40, it also quotes Malachi chapter 3. And I'm not very familiar with Malachi chapter 3. I hadn't thought about it. So this week, thinking, actually, it was just going to be for me, I was just going to look at that out of interest for myself, not for a message, I, I read... Malachi chapter 3. So Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, the part that's quoted in Mark chapter 1 is, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. What is going on there? The verse before it says this, You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? So, God is worn out by people who say they are his people, saying one of these two things. What people do doesn't really matter. If it's bad, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Even if what we're doing is not good, is contrary to his ways. We know best, not God. We're, so that's one thing that people might say that was wearing him out. The other thing is, God, where's your justice? God, when are you going to do something about it? So it's like, it's like on one hand, it could be that people are saying, like, God, how could you possibly bring fire on people? That's so just, I mean, I'm way kinder and that you would bring fire on people. That just offends me. I don't even like, I mean, that part of you, I'm, we're just, I'm going to ignore that part of you, even though it's in the whole Bible all the way through. I'm going to ignore that part of you. I, I mean, the part of you that says you're going to bring fire, I don't like that. And then there's that side of like, how can you let people do things like that? When are you going to do something about it? How can you let them get away with that? How, do you know what they did to me? Do you know how they hurt me? Do you know how they hurt my family member? Do you know? And would you just bring your fire on them? Now, if you're like me, you do both. You do both things. And it's important to know that the judgment of God, the purpose of the judgment of God is to remove everything that hinders love. What he wants is us to give and receive his love. What he wants is us to be able to love one another. And when we aren't, he wants to do something that will 
take that away so we will love. That's the goal. And if we refuse and walk away, then he says, okay. So going on, those are the two questions that worried him. Now, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. He's coming. The one we desire. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. So, he had, people are saying, come! And the prophet says, when he comes, are you ready? When he comes, who can endure? When he comes, who can stand? He is like a refiner's fire. He will refine and purify, purify and refine. That's what he's going to do. But the question is, he's going to do that. Do we want him to do that now so we're ready for the glory that he wants to bring? Or do we want to do it later when he's separating things out? He goes on to say, so I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud their laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice, of those who do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. He will be quick to testify against them. Verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. I, the Lord, do not change. There's not an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Now, this is interesting. When he says, I do not change, right after he says, I will be quick to testify against you. When he says, I do not change, what follows is, and that's why you're not destroyed. That's why even though in the book of Malachi, he gives example after example of how his people have done everything opposite of what they've promised to do for him. And yet they're still not destroyed, even though that was the covenant they made with him. Because his heart is for mercy. His heart is to forgive. His heart is of love. That is always true. He is, wants to be as patient as possible. So he says, return to me. Yes, you've got this and this and this and this. And all I want is you just to return to me. For you just to come back to me. A little bit later, chapter 3. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. And the Lord listened and heard as they were talking with each other about all of this. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them, 
just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will see again the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who, who do not. Because in the book of Malachi, people are saying, yeah, we're Christians, just like in the times of John the Baptist, like we're children of Abraham, we're the people of God, we're saying it, but there's no distinction. And so then God has to say like, hey, there's supposed to be a distinction. I chose you, I love you, you're my treasured possession, I want to give you life, it's actually a good thing, what I want for you sets you free, so return to me. And if you do, you will look different. And it'll be a good thing. You know, back in the, the time, I realize I'm out of order, Jill, but if we go back to Luke chapter 3, they said, well, you know, what should we do? What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. What should we do? When he said, you're snakes, you've got to produce fruit in, that's like lined up with repentance, he says, hey, be generous. Live generously. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, who were considered the scum back then. Even they came. That's why it says even. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to do, he told them. Be fair. Live uprightly. Live like you're supposed to. Then the soldiers came and asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Don't grasp for what you don't have. Be generous. Be upright. Be content. Now, we are trying to get ready. That's our, our heart is to get ready, ultimately for when he will come, but also, also just for how he wants to come more fully into our lives. So how are we going to do that? Well, just like last week, I want to say, I don't know. I don't know for you. It could be different for you than for you than for you. But we, so we each can decide, I want to get ready for his coming. So get ready in a personal way. But then we also want to get ready to share the good news with others. To share the good news with others. It's, um, it's not a casual thing, but there is a fire that will bring peace, that will bring everything working like it's supposed to be, and that we have a choice now to respond. It's not a casual thing. And John the Baptist, he didn't, he didn't go in there like just sort of like, well, you know, if, if they're open to it, I wouldn't want to offend anyone, but if they're open to it, I might bring it up. I mean, he's calling people snakes, the people that are coming. He's a voice of one calling. Now, please, we should do this in a gracious, kind way. I'm not saying that we use the language of that feel or the feeling or attitude of turn or burn. No, I'm just saying... Let's pray for people, because we all need Jesus. Let's look for opportunities to invite them. Let's listen to them. And if they're interested, let's be ready to share why Jesus means something to us. And then last week, unique to last week, I talked about fasting. Perhaps you want to fast in some way during Advent. This week, what I want to say is, why don't, what about confessing our sins communally? To confess our sins communally means to do, communal means together with people rather than on your own. 
That's the definition of that. First positive. Together with people rather than on your own. And a lot of times we approach confession like, I just do it on my own. Just being God. That's a good thing to do. But there's a difference to confessing with each other. And I don't think that the people came to John and then everybody just privately confessed. I don't know what it looked like. I don't know if they confessed to big groups or confessed to one person or just confessed to John. I don't know how specific they were or how much they... But it is definitely with each other. And besides John, just in the Bible, it's, the Bible says confess your sins one to another. Confess your sins to each other. It's something we're supposed to do. There's something that happens that's more freeing when we do that. And so want to create space in our response for confessing with each other and not just on our own. And that's part of the reason that everybody has this. Because all of us walked in with something. All of us walked in with sin. All of us. And the question is whether we're going to walk out with it. And it might be that we're walking in with sin, not something, we might be walking in with something that we did a long time ago, and it still just has a hold on us because we feel shame or guilt, or, or it might be something that's ongoing, or it might be something just from this week, but we come in with this, and without confession, we're probably likely to just walk right back out the same way. So today, we want to give the opportunity that if you want to leave it here, leave it here, that's what this bowl is for. To come in and to, and to just say, I want to leave it here, God. And in that way, we're doing it with each other. But we're also going to have elders, prayer ministers in the corners who you can go and you can confess to. Now, that confession can be as simple as, I've sinned. You know, I've sinned. And then let them speak words that would come from a God who who's does not change, who wants to forgive, who, who wants to give mercy, who wants to restore in relationship. You can get specific. You could say, I have addiction. That addiction could be to chocolate, it could be to drugs, it could be to all kinds of things. You, you don't have to say it. You can be specific if that feels like that, because that might set you more free. And they, they will hold whatever confidential, but you could just say, you know, I have sinned against somebody. I have hurt somebody. I have, whatever it is that you might feel you want to do, you could speak it out loud and then have someone speak forgiveness over you. And there is something freeing about that. And we're so f- afraid of doing it, even though I'm pretty sure we don't, we're all in this together, right? I think. And, and the goal is for freedom. So... I'm going to invite Matt to come up and Shayla to come up and and the elders, prayer ministers to go to their spots. This past week, we had our fourth quarter leadership meeting, which is staff and elders. And we also had the elders who who have been selected to begin in 2024. And those will be introduced to you and we'll be ordaining them at the end of the year. But Shayla uh, is one of those elders. And at the meeting, I shared that we would be doing this confession this Sunday. And she had been praying about it and emailed me and just said it's on her heart to confess. So I'm going to 
let you um, confess and then also let you pray for us. And then when she's done, Matt will sing. And at any point, we're going to have a couple songs, you can respond. Respond with the bull. Respond by uh, confessing sin, by having someone uh, speak forgiveness over you. God, I just thank you for this opportunity to pour out costly worship to you. Yeah. Under the weight of your presence, of a holy God. Yeah, it's just our response to confess before you, God. Yeah, so just boldly before you, before my church family, I confess complaining and speaking a language of fear, God. And I just turn from all the years of um, being afraid of when the situations would come up that I would choose to speak that same language of fear that was so ingrained to me instead of the language of power, the language of prayer, God. So I just turn to you in that. I turn my heart to you, God. I confess unforgiveness to you, God, and I just come under the submission of the cross and your confession of forgiveness, God, and I turn to you so that I can extend forgiveness, Lord, to others. And lastly, God, just I confess communing with offense, just rehearsing offense over and over and over in growing bitterness, God. And I turn to you, and in those areas where I would just spend hours just communing with offense, Lord, could I spend hours just communing with you, with your life-giving Holy Spirit, God? And I just pray for this church our church family. God, you have a longing for us. You have a longing. And so I ask in this space, in this pause, God, would you be unmasking sin and would you be calling your bride back to you? You came the first time in humility, God, to die for our sins, to make this bridge back to you, God. And you're coming the second time in glory, Lord. And may we be found, God, just a pure bride. I thank you for what you're doing today, God. For somebody in this room today, it's the last day of them being bound in fear, in addiction, God, in bitterness, Lord. I thank you, God, for what you're doing through the gift of your son, the sacrifice of your son, God. So in this pause, would you just reveal that to us in a greater way? Unmask sin, unmask the destructive nature of sin, and give us a fresh revelation of your son on the cross, the sacrifice you paid so that we could have life and so that you could have us, God. And may we give us the worship, or may we give you the worship that you're due, God. Again, I just thank you. I thank you for the honor of costly public worship. And as I put my stone in the bowl that many other people will place their stones, God, could it just be symbolic? Could it be a monument of our praise and our worship to how good you are, God? Could it be worship to a holy God who loves us and forgives us, who died to have us? Amen. 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 Respond how the Holy Spirit leads you.